0: You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, welcome to Easter at Banner Church. I'm excited that you're here. Is anyone excited that it is Easter Sunday? Is anyone else excited that you can be here in person? Yes, that, that is that is great. We were reflecting on, on what a year it has been. I lost all my hair. It was that stressful. Um, but it has been a great year. God has been moving in uh, great ways. And we are We're starting in a series called Undefeated Love. And I, I'm going to be honest. I, I know it's Easter, so that kind of feels like the one and done. You came. You don't got to come back to church again. But I'm going to encourage you that if you want to make yourself better, you want your relationships to be better, you want your marriage or your future marriage, or or even your uh, family relationships to be better, then I'm going to encourage you for the next four weeks to really commit to to diving into this undefeated love series. The reality is anybody can commit an hour four times, and I believe if you do that, if you uh, lead your family men, if you're man enough to lead your family in that way, I really believe that God is going to transform your family and your relationships, uh, because I I believe that much in the power of the love of Jesus, but we're so glad you're here. I want to pray for you as we begin, and we're going to dive in. Would you just bow your heads with me this morning? God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that we can celebrate this morning, and I pray as we walk through your word, I pray our hearts would be soft to what, to what you want to speak today, that our ears would be open, that our minds would be free from distraction, and that we would be encouraged by the great love that you have for us. Amen. 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 I, uh, tell you a little bit about myself in case we haven't met before, but I'm a really big fan of action movies. Are there any action movie fans in the house today? Come on, I said it first service, same thing, true, second service, that is the lowest woo we've ever gotten, like, I mean the deepest, it's the deepest woo, normally it's, normally the women hit it up here, but the men get that one, uh. I'm a big fan of action movies. I've always loved them as a kid. You know, you got Arnold and Bruce and Stallone, um, Van Damme, right? I I loved those movies as a kid. And there was kind of, you know, that classic model who's either like a retired ranger who's building a cabin, and just wants to be left alone, except for the cocaine dealers in Central Michigan, who are, you know, it's like always this formula, like he was a cop just having Christmas in LA at the Christmas party, and in this town, ta- right, there's this, always this kind of formula, but something that remains, though the formula changes over and over and over, something that remains in every action movie is there's a struggle between the good guy and the bad guy, right? There's a bad guy, the bad guy's plan is either to uh, steal something, or, or uh, kill somebody, or destroy something, like blow something up. Like, if you go under 65, I'm blowing up this bus, right? That is... That is every action movie over and over, and the good guy then has to defeat this bad guy and their scheme before that time runs out, and there's always some iconic scene where the bad guy, like, or the good guy might not make it. You know what scene I'm talking about? Every movie has it, right? He's swinging from the, the fire hose wrapped around, and he's jumping through and goes through the window, or they're trying to get everybody off the bus, or you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme, he's like doing the splits, between two semi-trucks as he comes over the motorcycle. You know what I'm talking about, right? Everyone's with me? Okay, good. Men are like, yes. And their wives are like, oh yeah, no, we've seen these movies, yes. (laughs) I love these movies. I grew up with these movies. And I love how it ends because in the end of these movies, good triumphs over evil. That's how it works. Movies have changed a lot lately. Um, you go to a movie now, like, you're really rolling the dice. You might get this weird, like, everybody dies ending or nothing happens or it's really sad. I want to tell you right now, uh, if you take me to a movie that you know the main good guy's going to die, unless it's for, like, a really good reason, you can just move on don't take me. I don't want to go with you. I don't want to see a movie. It's like, yeah, but it's European. I'm like, that's not a good reason for it to be terrible, right? Like, (laughs) I like pizza. That's European. It still needs to be good, right? Like, we all like spaghetti, but, like, if it's bad, it's like, well, it's European, right? (laughs) You guys know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Everyone's laughing. Like, what Easter service is this? (laughs) But I like that struggle. I like the struggle of, of good and evil and kind of that tension, right? That tension. Will will they do it before the timer is clicking down like 10, 9? You know, James Bond's trying to like defuse the bomb. It's like maybe if you spent less time sleeping with random women and more time diffusing bombs, you wouldn't have to wait to the last 10 seconds every time, right? And there's this tension of like, will they defeat the bad guy? Will they come through? I have to say, though, my favorite thing about Easter is that that tension of will... Good triumph does not exist because the celebration of Easter is that Jesus already won, that evil was already defeated, that sin has been overcome, and that life has been given to us. You might be here this morning, you've never been to church, you've never uh, heard of Jesus, and maybe you've never even opened a Bible. I want to say, that's okay, uh, and, and I want to encourage you with something today. And you're like, I don't really have context for this. That's okay, we're going to walk through it a little bit. And I want to say, uh, my prayer is that it would encourage your heart today. You're amongst people who are also seeking the truth for their life. But I love that about Jesus, that there might, there's no like, man, I hope he sneaks out a win. But today on Easter Sunday is the day we celebrate that Jesus Christ came to earth, that he lived amongst us, that he lived a perfect life, that he went to the cross, that he took our sin and shame, the debt of our sin, upon the cross. And he died on the cross. And he was laid in the grave. And then on the third day, he rose in victory, having defeated death hell and the grave, not as a last-ditch effort, not as a, as, a, as a plan B, C, or D, that His love has been undefeated from the beginning, and God from the beginning has been planning and promising a Messiah for you and I, that we might experience the freedom and the power of a new life in Jesus Christ. So I want to talk about that a little bit today I want to go back to the beginning of your Bible Uh, If you've ever held a Bible, the very first part uh, The very first chapter is Genesis And in Genesis, we have the narrative of the creation of the world And so God creates the universe He creates the world, and then He creates man to dwell with Him So I want to start there, are we good with that? Okay, so Genesis chapter 1 If you didn't bring your Bible, don't worry uh, The words are actually going to be on the screen You can just follow along there But Genesis 1, uh, verse 27, says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's a good emphasis there. He created, he created, he created. God created man. And God said to man, you can have everything in this garden except for this tree. Why would he do that? Why would God give him the whole garden and not give him, say, okay, but you need to obey my command to not eat of this tree? Well, for the very explicit purpose that love requires choice. If you create somebody who can't, who can only choose to love you, I'm going to promise you that's not love, right? Right? You can't coerce love. If you create something that is programmed only to love you and not to choose to love you, that's called a robot. And we are not robots. We have free will, right? And so by the nature of us having free will, we have to have the choice to love, to obey God, or to disobey God. And so one of the very first actions of man was to disobey God to eat of the tree. You're like, really eating of the tree, whether it was a pomegranate or everything? That's the big deal. No, the big deal was that God said, listen, I created you to live in a relationship with you, and part of that is you choosing to love me, you choosing to walk with me, you choosing to obey me, and man said, you know what? I want to do what I want to do. I want to be God of myself. I laugh at the idea of pursuing God, and instead, I want to reign over my own life. And so man chose for there to be a separation between them and God, because that's what sin does. Sin separates us from a perfect God. And the wages of sin, the consequence of sin, I know we don't love consequences anymore, but the consequence of sin is to be separated from God. There is a debt of sin. But what's amazing to me is in this moment, God has all the power to wipe out mankind, and yet he still chooses to love. Amidst betrayal, amidst pain, amidst hurt, against disobedience, there's only two of them so far. He could have been like, no, new ones. (laughs) Like, all right, here we go. Let's keep doing that over and over. But that's the reality when... Beings cannot be perfect. There is a point where they are going to choose this imperfect disobedience. And so God makes a promise He says, listen, I know the consequence of sin is death, but I'm going to send a, messi- a Messiah, I'm going to send someone who is going to restore and redeem creation into life, and eternal life with me. And so Genesis 3.15, he says this. He looks at Satan after Satan deceives Adam and Eve, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. Your version might say, he shall crush your head, which is the more literal term. And you shall bruise his heel. He's saying, Satan, you shall bruise, or the word there is actually strike. Strike. So what God promises here in offspring, he's not saying like your next kid or your kids to follow. He's saying from your lineage, I will send someone who will, and he looks at Satan, he says, who will destroy you even though you try to destroy him. What is he promising? He's promising the Savior. He's promising the Messiah. Messiah. We don't use that term a lot culturally anymore, but that is the term. He is promising a Messiah that is Jesus Christ. Someone say Messiah. Messiah of Jesus Christ. Did you know that all Scripture promises this Messiah? Messiah. Sometimes we look at Scripture as like two chunks, right? We're like, well, my Bible says Old Testament and New Testament. Yes, but it's all the Testament of what God is doing. All Scripture is the same. We say, well, but, but the Old Testament, God seems very angry. There's an awful lot of plagues. <laughs> the New Testament, Jesus seems very kind, and only a few times does He really let people have it. But if we skip those, then He just seems really nice, right? Right? We have this divide, but all scripture actually works together because the Bible is, and all of scripture shows that God is a merciful God. from the beginning, though man constantly disobeys, rebels, turns aside, that God, God who who doesn't have to do this, by the way, who loves us so much he chooses to do this, keeps coming back right? And saying, I love you. I'm going to create a covenant with you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to redeem you. And man's like, that's great. We super want to go do this. And he's like, okay, but if you come back, I will restore you. And then when they realize that this is a terrible idea, they come back and he's like, okay, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to redeem you. And they're like, that's nice. And they do that for a while. Then they're like, yeah, but this looks super good over here. And they're like, we love being the God of ourself, right? We love doing whatever we want. And then he's like, well, if you would, over and over and over, right? That is the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the story of God's merciful restoration over and over. Abraham, God makes a covenant. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to redeem the earth through the Messiah I'm going to bring through you. Israel, the descendants of Abraham, he says, listen, I'm going to bring you up out of your slavery, out of Egypt, but I'm going to promise the deliverance from an even greater slavery, the slavery of sin and death, through the Messiah that I'm going to bring. And then he would send prophets over and over and over saying, I'm sending a Messiah who's going to redeem the earth, who's going to restore you to what you were created for, to live in a relationship with me. Why, why cover that? Why go all the way back to the beginning? Because it's important for us to understand this morning that Jesus was not a backup plan. Jesus was not a backup plan. It's like, oh man, you know what? Humans, they really screwed it up. It's like, all right, tell... Uh, who do we send from the Trinity? Okay, well, God's like, I'm not gonna, go Holy Spirit's like, ah, nah. they are like, okay, Jesus, you gotta get down there and die for him. Right? It wasn't just a happenstance mix up from God. Jesus was very clearly a comeback, not a fallback. God promised, he fulfilled. God promised, he fulfilled. He didn't like just sneak out a win. It wasn't in the last moment as the clock's ticking down, he's like, Jesus, you gotta get down there and you gotta forgive their sins, right? From the beginning, He prepared. He made a promise. He fulfilled the promise. How many promises? 300. There are three. Hundred prophecies in scripture that directly point to the Messiah. Now in ancient literature, to make uh two would be strong, right? Like George Orwell in 1984 made like a couple predictions, and people were like, Wow, he knew the future, right? Like, and that was you know, that was the 50s. <laughs> he just happened to know that humans were perpetually evil. Three hundred Prophecies that directly point to the Messiah that he fulfilled, 300, 300. You say like, well, maybe he knew the Old Testament and so he just picked the ones that he knew he could like say, like, oh, the Messiah's gonna say this, so I'm gonna pick and then I'm gonna say this. Well, I picked eight that he couldn't fulfill by his own choice, okay, eight. So let's just, we'll just set aside 292 others that he fulfilled, and we'll just focus on these eight. Okay? Can we do that? Okay. The time of his birth. That was prophesied by Daniel 8 and 9. Literally, the nations and time and calendar of the birth of Messiah. Daniel 8 and 9. That he would be born in Bethlehem. He does not have power over that. Micah 5.2. That he would be born of a virgin. I can guarantee you he does not have power over that because uh, he wasn't born yet. I mean God has power over all things. But you understand what I'm saying? If he was a man who just got statistically lucky, he could not control these things. You're you're with me, right? Okay. Good. That he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah 11:12. That was that was 150 years before Jesus came. And he w- it was promised that he would be denied for 30 pieces of silver. And in fact, Jesus didn't pick 30 pieces of silver. Judas didn't pick 30 pieces of silver. You know who picked it? The chief of priests that denied that he was even a savior. So they actually fulfilled a prophecy for the person that they denied they were fulfilling a prophecy for. It's crazy how we can like get hit in the face with things. and still be like, well, I'm not sure. And, and, I, and so we'll, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. Don't worry. Uh, he would be mocked. That, yeah, yeah, who knows, right? Psalm 22. He'd be crucified, okay? That was prophesied before the Romans were even crucifying people. That he would be pierced, Psalm 22, very important. That he would die with the wicked, but be buried with the rich. And we know he dies amongst two thieves, and he's buried in the tomb of a rich man. Okay, that's just eight. I mean, we could go on a long time, but that's just eight. Jesus fulfilled all eight of these things. Say, well, that's just chance, Right? like, yeah, I mean, in all human history, someone was going to have to do this, right? I mean, the date and time one does kind of narrow it down a little bit, but you're like, okay, maybe that, that's just chance, that all of these things would happen, that hundreds and thousands of years before, someone said something was going to happen, and it happened 300 times, right? So there was an astronomy or a mathematics professor, who took? Who looked at the chances of just eight, the eight that I said, coming true by sheer chance, total chance. Like, it, you know, there was a person that happened. There's enough people in the world. It's just chance that it happened. Again, these are the ones that you couldn't just, like, control and say and do and say, oh, yeah, I did this, so I'm this. These are the uncontrollables. By sheer chance, will be one in ten to the seventeenth power. See, first service went, wow, because I think there's a lot of mathematicians. I didn't understand what that meant, so let me give you a visual. Okay. <laughs> okay. This would be like, this is the chance, the chance of Jesus incidentally fulfilling the time, the place, all of these things, right? Incidentally, by total chance of filling it would be one in 10 to the 17th. That would be like stacking silver dollars two feet deep across the entire state of Texas and then sending someone blindfolded into the state of Texas to pick one silver dollar that you have marked personally and they happen to pick that exact silver dollar. You're like, I've been to Vegas, that is possible. Okay, 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 okay. Well, let's add eight more. Okay, so we won't go into the 300. We'll just go 16 that he actually fulfilled. The odds are 1 in 10 to the 45th power. Okay, so picture, if you would, with me, 10 to the 45th power, what does it look like? Take that same silver dollar and start making a ball. And put that ball, its center, dead in the center of the sun. And then keep building till you go all the way past all the planets till you get to Uranus. That sphere that's in the center of the sun and goes all the way out, all the way out here to the edge to the edge. Uranus. Huge. Be careful how I say that. All the way out. (laughs) All the way out. Full of silver dollars. Think on that. And then you send someone blindfolded in to find the one that you have marked and the chances that they find it. That is the chance that Jesus just by chance or incidentally could have fulfilled these prophecies 16 that came true. 16. Okay, what about 48? This is my last one. 48. The odds of someone incidentally fulfilling or by chance fulfilling 48 is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. Okay, we can't use silver dollars. There's hardly a scope for this. But uh, have you ever seen a little diagram of an atom? Right? You got the circle. You got the lines. There's electrons, right? Electrons. One of the smallest things that we know An electron. If you were to take electrons and you were to side-by-side fill the known galaxy, what's the known galaxy? Well, the known galaxy is if you go six billion light years in every direction, that is our current known galaxy. That's, that's a lot of space, six billion light years. If you were to fill this galaxy, six billion light years on every direction, with electrons, so the tiniest thing, like if I stack like, a million electrons, it wouldn't even be a a line thick, or an inch thick line, like right next to each other. So small. If you were to fill the universe, 10, 9 million times, so you have like, right, like million, billion, trillion, just keep going up, you know, numbers, millions, not nines, million, you know, like, I don't know how to say that in a way. Hopefully everyone understands what I mean. Uh, (laughs) If you were to fill the universe that many times and then send somebody into these uh, 9 million uh, multiverses, like Marvel doesn't even know what to do with this. There's so many, right? If you were to send someone in blindfolded to pick out one electron, that is the statistical odds that someone would fulfill by chance 48 prophecies. Jesus fulfilled 300 prophecies his life was a fulfillment. Again, we have this idea that like a bunch of people just like, made this book to see if they could get close and talk about this guy and convince people. No, this was not an accident. The universe, hear me, the universe is not big enough to hold the evidence that Jesus is the Messiah come to this world to save you. The universe is not big enough to contain the statistical evidence for it. That he sent his son to love the world. It's not an accident. He didn't get a single one wrong. You know what the statistical evidence for not missing one in 300 is? Me neither. It's a lot, (laughs) it's massive. There is not a scale. But he sent his son into this world to love us, to die for our sins, and to rise again in new life. All prophecies prophesied and fulfilled. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus, the Messiah, came to this earth. He walked. He lived to die for you and I. He stepped into the mud with us, into the brokenness with us to rescue us. On Friday at our Good Friday service, we reflected on the cross. And in John 19, it tells us they delivered him over, meaning Jesus, to be crucified. And they took Jesus and they went out bearing his own cross to the place called the Place of a Skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. See, to the Romans, the crucifixion was a symbol of torture and punishment, but to Jesus, it was a symbol of love and taking our punishment upon himself so that we might be free. Verse 28 says of John chapter 19, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Hear me this morning, Jesus loves you so much that he came to this earth, he took your sin upon the cross, and he looked through all of eternity into your life, and he said, it is finished. I have died for you to release you from the slavery of sin. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you, write this down. First thing here is so important, Jesus loved you first. He didn't wait for you to love Him. He loved you first. First John 4, 19 says, We love because Jesus first loved us. He first loved us. In Romans 5, Paul says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is so important. Christ did not wait for you to love Him before He loved you. He didn't wait for you to prove yourself, get it together, go through the right process and the right steps to earn it. He loved you before you even existed. And that matters because if he loved you first and he died first, that means all of your sin, shame, everything that you have walked through, the brokenness, do not disqualify you from his love. When God looks at you, he looks with a heart of love for you. What's amazing is just as the cross displayed his love for us, the resurrection displays his life for us. See, when, when Jesus dies on the cross, all hell is rejoicing because death is, it was the enemy overplaying his hand, right? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Scripture tells us that he came, Jesus came, that we might have life into the fullest. And it's not like Jesus was buried and it was like that scene of Rocky, he was like, come on, Rock, you gotta get up. You got right? He, he wasn't like, man, I hope he makes it. Man, I hope he I hope he gets it together. Man, I hope he's powerful. Jesus knew he had to die, and he died on purpose so that he could grab the keys to death, that he could destroy the hold of the enemy, that he could defeat sin, Satan, the enemy, and death. He did it on purpose for a purpose. You were his purpose. Your freedom was his purpose. And and death could not hold him because he is the Messiah. So here's what happens. Matthew 28. It says, Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. Important words in the Bible right here. For he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them saying greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet, meaning like he was real. He was not a spirit. He was not a hallucination. In fact, there are so many testimonies about seeing Jesus after his crucifixion, after his resurrection. There's more evidence for Jesus rising from the grave than there is for Julius Caesar existing. Testimony after testimony says they worshiped him. Write this down if you're taking notes. His love is victorious. The angel said, he's risen. It's still true. Jesus is still not in the grave. This is important. Jesus loved you. He died for your sins. But he didn't stay dead. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. I love 1 Corinthians 15 54 says this, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Let me tell you about the love of Jesus that came for you. Death could not hold it. Do you know how powerful that is? Death could not hold it. Sin could not destroy it. Shame could not break it. Darkness could not hide it. The enemy could not defeat it. His love is so powerful that it had victory over everything. That is the love of God for you. It's not passive. It's not hopeful, hoping it makes it, hoping it squeaks by a win. It is victorious, meaning not hopefully it will be victorious. It is right now victorious. But not only has he risen a victory, but Jesus invites you into a victorious relationship. I don't know if you knew this, maybe you haven't been around, or maybe you went to a church that they said that God was just like angry at you all the time but hear me Jesus longs to have a relationship with you he gave up his life so that you would he loves you so deeply he longs to be in relationship sin separated our disobedience separated Jesus destroys that separation to bring us back together to bring new life for all creation the resurrection the empty tomb is an invitation to a relationship with a loving God John eleven twenty five. 25 Jesus says to the woman at the well I am the resurrection at the life and the life whoever believes in me though he die yet shall he live second Corinthians Paul tells us if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation some of you here today God is ready to make you new It says, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Our mission here at this church is so that all people can experience the freedom and the power of a new life in Jesus Christ. The old is gone. Because Jesus has risen, there is hope for every future and healing from every past. You're like, well, you don't know my past. That's true, but I know your past exists on this earth, right? I can know that. I might not know you. I might not even know where you're from. I might not know your family. I might not know how you grew up, but I know it happened here on this planet, unless there's something you need to tell us all, right? <laughs> I know what happened here. And what I know is that when Jesus defeated death, he defeated the most powerful force on this earth, death. None of us can avoid that, right? He defeated the most powerful thing on earth. And if you defeat the most powerful thing on earth, you, you have power over all the other stuff, right? If he defeated death, he can defeat shame. He can release chains, Which means your past and the things you carry are not stronger than the love of God for you. They're not stronger than the embrace of Father God. They're not greater than Jesus' love displayed on the cross. And they're not greater than the life that you have been called to you. And this is why I, I wrote this in bold letters in my notes so that I made sure that you knew today that nothing can separate you from the love of God. If his love conquered death, it can conquer your shame. If his love overcame the grave, then guess what? It can heal your bitterness. It can heal your addiction. It can heal your pain. It can heal the brokenness in your life. It can release the anger. If his love restored creation, it can restore your heart. It can restore your future. It can restore your family. It can restore your marriage and your relationships. It can restore your hopes and dreams. It can restore your purpose. It can restore your identity because nothing can separate you from the love that already defeated the most powerful thing on earth. Romans 8, 38, Paul says, For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hear me today. Some of you, you might feel disqualified from the greatest love that has ever existed in the universe, but you need to hear me say that Jesus has not disqualified you from God's love. He has not disqualified you from the miracle of a new life, from the release of pain, from the release of bitterness. He's not disqualified you from releasing the weight upon your shoulder. He's not disqualified you from freedom from the chains and the addiction that's holding you down. He's not disqualified you from the restoration in your heart. He has not disqualified you. And in fact, beyond that, he is inviting you. Ben, would you come forward today? He is inviting you to live in relationship with him in the undefeated love, that nothing you have done will ever overcome. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down just one last thing. God's love is undefeated. Hear me today. God's love is undefeated. It has never been overcome. It has never been outdone. It cannot be chased away. It cannot be stolen from you. Regardless of what someone said about you, they can't take it away. Did you know that? Nobody can take that away from you. They can't take away God's love from you. Like, yeah, but what about what I've done? You, you can't take it away. He already died and gave it to you. You're 2,000 years too late. The enemy thought he destroyed the relationship you were created to have with God. In the Garden of Eden, when he deceived man and said, listen, you can just be God of yourself. The enemy thought he destroyed Jesus on the cross when he nailed him there. And the enemy thought he destroyed you and your sin and your pain and your addiction. But hear me, the love of God was undefeated then and the love of God is undefeated now. And for your life today, Jesus is calling you to receive that love, walk in the freedom of that love, walk in the miracle of that love, and the hope and the joy of that love. He's he's calling to you today, saying, listen, if you would lay down your heart, if you would lay down your pride, you would receive the greatest love that's ever been given. And this this morning, here's how I want to respond. Our team has a video. I want you to watch in just a moment of response. And it's a song of God, of Jesus singing over you. I want you to hear the words. And as you hear the words, I want you to allow the love of God to permeate your heart and allow him to remind you how deeply he loves you and that nothing can separate you from his love. And just to respond to that, maybe it's to say thank you. Maybe, maybe you, just, you have such a wall of pride in your heart that it's so hard to receive, and so maybe your response in this moment is just simply going to be like, okay, I'm just going to be open-hearted. But I'm going to invite you to respond. I'm going to pray for you and invite you to respond. And then at the very end, I want to give you a chance to say, okay, I'm going to walk in that love. I'm going to experience the freedom and the power of a new life in Jesus Christ today. Jesus, we thank you in this moment for your love. And I pray as we reflect on your love that from the very beginning, from the very beginning was undefeated, that came for us, that we might have new life. I pray as we reflect on that, that you would speak to our heart and those here today who have not made that decision or who have walked away from the beautiful love and the freedom and power, the hope and healing of Jesus Christ would today say, I choose to follow you. I say yes to you. I need the miracle of your love today.